Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. And our December-January print edition is out on the streets in our uh, red and white news boxes around the city in public libraries, independent bookstores, and other venues. I'll be joined a little later in the show by my co-host, Amber Gagarian. Uh, for today's show, we're going to start by uh, looking once again at the uh, epic uh, battle for uh, the Hector LaSalle nomination for chief judge of New York State's highest court. He was selected by Governor Kathy Hochul on December 22nd. Last week, we talked with State Senator Julia Salazar about that selection, which has earned the ire of uh, progressives and others uh, in the, um, the Democratic Party coalition. Today, we'll be uh, joined in just a minute by uh, Peter Martin of the uh, uh, of the Center for Community Alternatives, who's been uh, one of the advocates uh, really leading the fight against this nomination. And since just since last week, the number of Democratic state senators who have come out against the nomination has increased from 10 to 14, which is a important threshold we'll talk about in a minute. And we'll just talk about the, the, the general trajectory of this nomination and also really how this uh, sort of broad resistance to this nomination came together. It didn't start on December 22nd. That's for sure. There's been a lot of uh, work that's gone into sort of laying the ground for this. And, and Peter has been in the middle of that and he'll be able to share some of that with us as well. In the, in our second segment, I'll be joined uh, by Amba Gagarin, the show's uh, co-host. Uh, she's traveling overseas uh, and uh, uh, is going to be out of New York for the next month or two and will be joining us intermittently, including today. And we're excited about that. And uh, we'll hear more from her. Uh, she's currently in Egypt and, uh, and in the second half of the show, we'll also be talking with the Indies, Nicholas Powers. He has a beautiful essay, uh, in the current print edition of the independent, uh, uh, called Remembering the 60s Generation. A son explores the meaning of his mother's life. Uh, his mother was a very talented woman, off-Broadway actress, uh, was involved in a, a lot of the radical movements of the late 60s, and uh, which shaped her life profoundly. And uh, Nick is going to uh, talk about all of that with us. Uh, we always enjoy uh, having Nick on the show, one of the Indies' uh, longest and running and most talented writers. Uh, so, uh, but we're going to start uh, with the uh, the battle uh, for the future of New York's highest court, the New York Court of Appeals. Uh, Hector LaSalle nominated uh, on December 22nd, a conservative jurist, former uh, uh, prosecutor from Suffolk County out on Long Island, and has met uh, more resistance than any uh, uh, judicial pick in New York in modern history, and one of the people that's right in the thick of that is Peter Martin. Peter, welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for for making the time. I know you're busy these days. So uh, just since last week, uh, uh, four more state senators have come out against this nomination. Uh, Michael Giannaris, uh, Jessica Ramos, uh, both from Queens, also John Liu from Queens, and Shelly Meyer, a moderate Democrat from Westchester County. Uh, can you uh, 
talk about the significance of the opposition growing from 10 to 14, as well as the significance of some of these uh, particular individuals, Giannaris being a, a deputy a majority leader in the Senate and Ramos being the chair of the Labor Committee? Sure. So some basic math is probably helpful to uh, delay the scene here. Um, the state Senate, which has to confirm any gubernatorial nomination to the Court of Appeals, has 63 members. Confirmation requires a simple majority. So if all senators are present, you're looking at needing 32 yes votes uh, to confirm a nominee. There are currently 42 Democrats and 21 Republicans. So what that means is if 11 or more Democrats say that they will vote no on a nominee, there aren't enough votes within the Democratic conference to confirm the nominee, and therefore Republican votes would be needed. So as you mentioned, um, over the last week, the number of senators announcing opposition has grown. I mean, first, I should say, since the date of the nomination, it's grown from zero to 14, and it's grown from 10 to 14 in just the last several days. You mentioned the four who came out most recently and alluded to uh, some of the significance of those four members. You're right. Uh, Senator Gennaris is the deputy majority leader, meaning the number two Democrat in the Senate um, and the number two in the Democratic conference. Senator Ramos is the chair of the Labor Committee, reflecting the, um, you know, real strong leadership that labor unions have played in response to, uh, to the nomination. And then lastly, um, you mentioned Senator Mayer. She is from Wester- Westchester County, uh, you know, represents a suburban district. Herself is a, um, a moderate. I think she would say she's a moderate. She certainly is, um, you know, cautious and judicious, um, and thorough in all that she does. And so I think it spoke volumes that, um, a senator with a record and values like hers would come to this position and announce it publicly. Right. And what do you see as the risk in placing Hector LaSalle on, on the top court of the state as its chief judge? So the court of appeals under the last chief judge, Janet Fiore, moved dramatically to the right. Um, this is a court that for many decades was not known for being liberal or conservative or anything. Um, and it has become known as being conservative because it has been, um, across a whole range of legal issues and cases dealing with a range of policy issues. The court has sided repeatedly in recent years with the powerful. So with large corporations, with the government against citizens, uh, with landlords and real estate over tenants and on and on. Um, Justice LaSalle has not yet sat on the Court of Appeals, um, but he has sat on the next level of appeals courts in New York, um, on the appellate division, uh, in the second department, which is parts of downstate New York, um, Long Island, Westchester, Brooklyn and Queens. He's from Suffolk County. He's now the presiding justice of the second department. And he has a decade long appellate judicial record, which is like Chief Judge DeFiore before him, distinctly conservative, again, across a range of issues. Um, and so it's pretty clear to lots of us, um, you know, advocates like me who work on a number of issues, uh, it's clear to unions, it's clear to others that Justice LaSalle would continue the current harmful uh, sort of position, stance, ideology of the Court of Appeals and could even make it worse. And, and can you talk a little bit about uh, particular uh, cases and rulings he's been involved with uh, that have uh, so angered uh, union leaders as and then as well the uh, reproductive choice community to bulwarks of the Democratic Party coalition? Absolutely. 
So the first decision I'll mention, um, the one that implicates unions, is a decision from several years ago um, between Cablevision, what's now Optimum, you know, the the massive telecommunications company, and the union CWA, which represents uh, workers at the company. Um, what that case was about was you know union organizers, union staffers working for CWA as part of their organizing efforts at Cablevision made various criticisms of Cablevision. Um, I think specifically they were criticizing it over its handling of Hurricane Sandy and how that implicated its workers. Um, there is longstanding precedent, both in federal law and in New York state law, that prohibits lawsuits of a certain kind, um, you know, like individual tort lawsuits under the law. It's basically, you know, lawsuits coming after individuals, for harming another person through their speech. Um, there's a longstanding precedent prohibiting those kinds of lawsuits from union organizers, from being brought against union organizers, because that would basically make it impossible for union organizers to communicate um, in the ways they need to in order to organize with workers. In this case, uh, the second department panel that Justice LaSalle sat on in hearing a lawsuit by Cablevision against some CWA organizers, what they held is was really a loophole. They said that a defamation lawsuit could be brought against, could go forward against the CWA organizers in their personal capacities. That was what they found as the way to say the lawsuit was fine, or at least, you know, had enough merit to proceed. Um, and what we've seen, you know, in the last week and a half, the reason unions have come out so strongly against Justice LaSalle is a decision like that is a real existential threat to unions, their operations, and even to their individual staff members. Um, it, it really puts in jeopardy the ability of unions to organize at all. Um, it's especially concerning because the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to hear in just a few weeks a case which this hyper-conservative uh, U.S. Supreme Court could use to gut some of these federal protections and mean that more of these lawsuits might be brought in state courts. So that's the first one. The other one you asked about, um, a decision that Justice LaSalle was involved in that implicated reproductive rights. This was also a few years ago. This case related to an investigation by the attorney general, the, the state attorney general's office into crisis pregnancy centers which are anti-abortion um, organizations that often masquerade as medical clinics. They seek to, um, you know, attract in pregnant people who are seeking information about healthcare, about all of their um, options for for their pregnancies. Um, you know, not limited to, but very much including abortions. And since crisis pregnancy centers are explicitly anti-abortion. Um, they do everything they can to dissuade people from getting abortions, often including um, sharing false information and sometimes even portraying themselves as you know, medically licensed when they're not. So the attorney general's office was investigating um, crisis pregnancy centers, had a, a lawsuit against one of them, um, and as part of that, subpoenaed them for various information. As part of that investigation and as part of this lawsuit, the attorney general's office explained that it was looking into potential unlicensed practice of medicine, uh, which would be fraudulent, clearly illegal activity. And also these organizations attempt to get in the way of New Yorkers 
you know, New Yorkers guaranteed rights to bodily autonomy and reproductive autonomy to seek out the full range of medical care uh, for their pregnancies, again, including abortions. The decision that Justice LaSalle and colleagues of his on the second department handed down limited the attorney general's investigation, said that certain parts of the subpoena or certain subpoenas they had issued um, could not be honored and they couldn't get some of the information they sought on the grounds that um, it, it was attacking the First Amendment, you know, associational rights of the crisis pregnancy centers. There are multiple issues with this decision, one being that people do not have a First Amendment right to engage in fraud. Um, so that should have been, you know, that should not have been part of the decision. But more foundational and the reason why this is really central to reproductive rights and isn't just about the First Amendment, isn't just about fraud, is that the attorney general was specifically premising the investigation on the fundamental right at the time protected by Roe v. Wade um, into you know abortion and all other pregnancy services. And the second department's decision did not mention that at all, just didn't even address that claim, didn't address that argument, effectively holding in favor of the crisis pregnancy centers and not you know giving merit to the idea that um, the right to an abortion is a compelling state interest that the government um, has a, a responsibility to help New Yorkers protect. Mm. And, and can you give us a, a, a sense here of the uh, sort of the schedule we're on in, in terms of uh, what happens uh, if uh, Hochul continues to uh, pursue this uh, nomination as far as hearings and votes and all of that? So the law specifies one thing very clearly, which is any court of appeals nomination has to be either confirmed or rejected within 30 days. Governor Hochul announced the nomination on December 22nd. So that timeline gets us to January 21st. Um, less clear under the law is exactly how the Senate should go about either confirming or rejecting. Uh, recent Senate practice is for the Judiciary Committee to hold a hearing and then an advisement vote and then for the full Senate to take a vote on nominees. That said, there has never been such a controversial court of appeals nominee before. New York went to its current system in the late seventies. So it's been, what's that? 40, 45 years or so now. Um, there has never been any nominee who has attracted, you know, such quantity of, of opposition and opposition from so many different parts of the state, including so many different senators. So I think it's an open question right now on how the Senate will choose to handle this. Um, as we've started seeing, some members of the Senate are either explicitly calling on Justice LaSalle to withdraw or calling on Governor Hochul to withdraw him um, or suggesting that uh, he should do so because uh, it's clear that he won't be confirmed. Right. And can you um, uh, give us a little bit of a sense of how uh, this uh, a broad uh, uh, coalition of groups has come together, the groundwork that went into um, into that that goes back um, at least a year or more? And uh, also, can you uh, let our listeners know uh, how they can uh, get involved if they want to make their views known to their uh, state senator? Yeah, great questions. So I think the, the first, so sort of the oldest thing I can point back to is, um, a year and a half ago when then Governor Cuomo nominated Madeline Singus to the Court of Appeals, uh, there was a small group, which I played a role in 
um, that encouraged senators and, and called on senators to reject her nomination. She, at the time, was the district attorney for Nassau County. She had a long, deeply, con- um, deeply concerning, you know, punitive prosecutorial record that uh, those of us calling on the Senate to reject her felt was disqualifying for such an important judgeship. She was unfortunately ultimately confirmed, um, but with almost all Republicans voting no and 10 Democrats voting no. So it was a fairly close, uh, a close vote that you know, then Governor Cuomo resigned fairly soon after that. Um, a new vacancy opened up on a regular schedule at the end of last year. There was some advocacy around that vacancy and that appointment. Um, but then really, what, uh, you know, what jumpstarted things was this July, now former Chief Judge Janet T. Fiore announced that she was going to resign three years before the end of her term. And so the sort of existing, the people who had engaged with the last two vacancies were, you know, again, myself included, sort of, um, as someone who had been in touch with lots of people and organizations about this previously, we were able to quickly get back in touch and figure out how we wanted to respond to this vacancy. Um, and pretty quickly over July and August, we came into alignment on a number of values and priorities that felt really important for the next chief judge. Um, and we began by articulating those in a letter that we sent to Governor Hochul in August. That letter was signed by a little over 110 organizations from across the state, um, which I think shows how quickly uh, we were able to organize and mobilize and, as I said, come to alignment on a set of um, a set of principles that lots of New Yorkers agreed on. We then had to wait a few more months for the process to play out. There's a, a process that's specified by the law um, that you know takes some time. And so we largely were waiting until the list of candidates was released, which came out right before Thanksgiving. Um, and so at that time, we did a deep dive into the records of the seven candidates um, fairly quickly, we were able to tell that several of them had really impressive, really, um, records that were right for New York, records that reflect the values of the state, um, that show, you know, top intellect, great accomplishments, all of that. And then in contrast, three candidates whose records showed they were clearly wrong for the state and should not be the next chief judge. Um, Justice LaSalle was one of the latter three. And so, when he was nominated, we had prepared lots of research on him, which we had already circulated to senators and others. Um, since then, we've done more research. We've uncovered more elements of his background that are concerning beyond what we already, you know, what we knew several weeks ago. Um, but that's the, the fairly short summary of how we've gotten to where we are. It, impressive. I mean, it, it shows that e- even uh, losing uh, efforts can lay the groundwork for uh, larger success. Uh, um, in larger coordination down the road. And, and just last of all, uh, uh, do you see what's happening here in New York it, uh, as um, an expression of the sort of the larger moment we're in where the Supreme Court has moved far to the right and and we've seen Roe versus Wade reversed and, and that uh, people are waking up to how important the courts are, including at the state level in a way that people weren't thinking about before? I think all of that's entirely right. Um, I mean, you said it about the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, it's worth mentioning that earlier this year, the Court of Appeals issued a ruling that I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. It's the ruling that dealt with New York State's uh, redistricting after the most recent census. Um, that decision 
invalidated the congressional districts and the state Senate districts that the legislature had passed and the governor had signed. And I think that decision, along with the Supreme Court's decision in the recent Dobbs case and in other cases, is just driving home to many more New Yorkers how much courts matter, period, how much our state courts especially matter, and how our state courts can either protect us or fail to protect us, and how all of us need to engage to ensure that they do, in fact, protect us. And what's the website people can go to uh, to find out more information about the uh, campaign here before we have to cut out? The campaign is called The Court New York Deserves, and the website is thecourtnydeserves.com. So there's much more information there. There's also a tool that people can use to contact their senators by phone or email with just a couple clicks. And we hope that all New Yorkers will make their voices heard on this very soon. Okay. So Peter Martin from the Senator, the Center uh, uh, for, uh, Shoot, I forgot. The, 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 the Center, Center for Community, for community alternatives. alternatives. Yes. Thank you so much uh, for uh, joining us uh, today and uh, and sharing the, uh, this update on, uh, on the nomination. My pleasure. Thanks so much, John. Okay.